Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. The energy crisis and rising inflation remind us that more than ever, we need to produce greener and save more energy. This topic is now mainstream, but many experts, such as Monica Frassoni, the president of the European Alliance to Save Energy, have been arguing for years for greater ambitions. Monica Frassoni is an Italian politician and an environmental and democracy activist. She is a former member and co-president of the Green Group in the European Parliament, where she seated from 1999 to 2009. Until November 2019, she was also the co-chair of the European Green Party. Ms. Frassoni has been the president of the European Alliance to Save Energy, an organization dedicated to promoting energy efficiency across Europe for the past decade. We probably have Monica to thank for all the work being done in Europe to mainstream sustainability so far. Thank you very much. It's a big say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Monica. Thanks for being here with me today. I'm really thrilled to have such an experienced politician uh, here in Energetic. So, Monica, tell me, where does this commitment for the energy transition and energy saving come from? Well, I must say that uh, my first commitment was to Europe and then uh, the commitment to environment, energy transition, fight to climate change came to give substance and content uh, to my European uh, engagement and passion in the sense that it is very difficult to do this kind of transition only at national or local level, although it is, of course, necessary also to work at that at those um, and local and national level, but without some kind of transnational dimension Uh, we will not win the energy transformation challenge. And I believe that uh, Europe is a perfect level, not only to uh, deliver, but also to uh, have a role model at world level, a leadership role at world level. So my commitment for climate change and um, also for the transition, which is a solution basically to the climate change challenge, stems from my passion for um, for a democratic and federal Europe. That's really beautifully said. And yeah, that's indeed quite clear how this commitment come from also, because uh, maybe when you started, the uh, energy issues weren't so mainstream and weren't so visible. And we didn't see at the time how uh, Europe could make a difference. Also at this, as you said, this uh, leadership view uh, this leadership position so that's uh, really how you know the all the bricks come together and i guess that's also your commitment from the green party was also uh, one of the uh, areas where maybe you got to understand that there was energy was more than switching on and off your light at home it was something like a, a whole system that was very very opaque somehow yeah i must say that energy is only a part of the transition we are needing in the sense that uh, the transformation of the energy system has to come with uh, democratic procedures, with the fact of being convincing people, with the fact of being aware that uh, the issues like uh, pollution, conservation of our natural resources, 
quality of uh, living, all of that would be there even without climate change. And uh, so I believe that uh, the, the idea of an environmental sustainability of the planet is certainly linked to climate change, but it is also linked to the pressure on resources, to the um, inequalities in the world in which you have uh, people like us in, in Western Europe which can consume and can have um, ecological footprint till now that has been you know, hugely um, bigger than the one of the rest of the world. And it is now the rest of the world which is more, which is suffering most. And if you think about it, the rest of the world has been suffering most for decades, even before climate change came about. So I think that is a question of uh, social and, and, uh, and climate justice that we are talking about and in which indeed, as you said, all things come together. Yeah, I totally second uh, your view on the rest of the world paying for the mistakes that we did in Europe. And it has like a very, very long history, but still it's it's extremely visible today. And uh, I'm really like happy to to be able to contribute in my sense also in, in seeing what's and bringing some solutions to other parts of the world. And I think it's also one of the things that the European Parliament has been pushing forward. I mean, you're no longer MEP, but you're still very influential over there. And what I've have been following you on, it's the first time we, we meet and discuss, but I've been following you for, for many, many years now. And what I've understood from your take is that you really value cooperation at many different levels. All right. Yeah, I believe that um, the, which is in a way something which is really out of fashion in this moment, in which you have an extreme polarization um, of contents. But I believe that one of the most important and interesting um, parts of the federalist approach and also of a broadly ecological approach is that you uh, cannot be content with yourself only and that you have to find a way to manage conflicts and manage uh, uh, conflicting interests. And this is the same uh, when you are dealing with energy transformation. It is very obvious that uh, if you have somebody who has been hitting himself or herself uh, always with gas and then suddenly out of nothing there is a crazy... Uh, despot that starts a war and you ask to this person, well, you know what, you have to do without this gas, uh, not only because of the war, but also because it is polluting. This is certainly not the way to convince anyone. And you also have to take into account that these um, issues take, uh, take time, that we are late and that we have to accelerate. So I think that the way of finding the right level for the solution, which is not only technological, but is also organizational, and it is a governance question, really puts uh, very much under the focus the fact that climate change and in general energy transformation is not only a transformation of energy, but it is a transformation of our approach that uh, has some parts that are positive, that has some parts that can lead to an improvement of our quality of life, but uh, they also have to take into account that there are some people who are much less equipped than others. And I believe that this is something that has been cruelly missing, at least in the discourse. 
not I'm not so sure about the way in which things were done, because, you know, this question of having to accompany the people who are more disadvantaged or vulnerable has been also used as a massive instrument of greenwashing and, and as a massive break in this in energy and in general in this system transformation. So I think that um, if we have this kind of comprehensive approach and if we put our deeds where our mouth is, uh, we cannot say in this moment that we don't have the resources to do this transformation. It is really the contrary. So what are you advocating for now at the moment? What are the top priorities? Uh, because, I mean, you already mentioned uh, like the biggest challenges, which are this, this kind of cooperation and having like a cohesive approach and a comprehensive approach. But what, what would be for you like the key turning points? Of course, uh, what I was talking about earlier was the approach. This is not yet the solution. We need to do three things. First, we have to get rid of our dependence on fossil fuel, which goes, of course, much beyond the Ukraine and uh, the aggression of Russia on Ukraine. I believe that uh, this is a major mind shift which has not happened yet. I believe that a lot of people still think about climate change as something that is in the future. And therefore, the fact that from, the, from one side to describe exactly the situation as it is, and on the other side, on the positive side, what kind of solutions are there, renewables, technique of um, technologies for uh, saving energy, alternative fuels, you know, all these kind of things are massively helping to change our system. But the, uh, for the moment, we really do not have integrated that we have to get rid of fossil fuel dependence, no matter what. This is what happened during COVID. During COVID, everybody understood that this thing had to be defeated with extreme means. Unfortunately, since we are very late, we need to adopt an emergency mentality also to get rid of fossil fuels. And this is really not the case. We saw that a lot of countries are actually running after the different, what they call a differentiation of energy sources, but in reality is a differentiation of those who give to sell you uh, gas, which is for the moment reaching a little bit, you know, going down, but uh, in summer and uh, the, the end of summer was reaching incredible prices that had no comparison with the way in which we were used to deal with gas. And on top of it, which is not, the prices are not at all linked with the quantity of gas that are available, that is available. And so I think that this is something that tells us a lot, not only about our dependence, but our will to keep being dependent. And this is even more, uh, you know, worse. The second priority that uh, I think that we have to, to, that we are working on, actually, it's not I think, we are working on it, is to make sure that the commitment of the European Union to become climate neutral by 2050 is not just blah, blah. And uh, I think that uh, distractions like COVID and, uh, and now the war, instead of pushing for being even more ambitious, are pushing for being less and less ambitious at the level of the member states. And this is a major problem because it's a blow to our credibility and therefore to the world's credibility in actually implementing the commitments they took. 
We are now discussing a big part of the Green Deal, which is, I think, in big danger. And the Fit for 55, notably renewables and energy efficiency buildings, etc., are also, are for the moment, uh, above all in the discussion among member states, going in the wrong direction. You know? And I think that that is certainly something that is linked to the first priority, getting rid of uh, fossil fuel. But uh, the fact of having or not having a very ambitious legislative framework for the, our leg, if you want, of uh, respecting uh, our commitments is, uh, is really important. Because if we are losing our face and our credibility in this, then uh, we are really not going anywhere. And the third extremely important priority for me, also something that we are working very much, is the role of the European Union in the discussion around climate and in general about the the Green Deal and the transition. We see that the Commission is getting less energetic in this sense. The President of the Commission is following too much her own government. She is stopping initiatives in a very obvious way. And I think that that is something that is extremely detrimental for the EU in general, in the sense that, uh, for example, on the price of gas, you can think whatever you like. You can, there are some people, also among Greens, that do not believe that this is a good solution. But the worst thing is that uh, a lot of countries asked her to ask the Commission to do a proposal, and uh, the price of the Commission simply didn't deliver. And there, there was uh, an initiative from Gentiloni and Thierry Breton recently which was uh, motivated by the fact that basically nothing was moving in the Commission. So that if the Commission loses its capacity of pushing and of leading and of proposing and of being on the advanced way, not only in the Green Deal, but also in European reform, uh, we just had the Conference on the Future of Europe and uh, everybody forgot about it. The, the, the work for one year of uh, uh, one, 800 people in presence and the thousands of people online. And if we just let go on Green Deal and the reform of the EU, then we are really in trouble, above all in a moment in which uh, we are also under a geopolitical point of view in a very risky situation. So we lack some true leadership and somehow the European Parliament is not managing to, to balance those interests. They are balancing, but it is uh, one leg of the, th- of the three legs. So the European Parliament is extremely important. In some cases, it, is, uh, it has saved the way. But, uh, you know, the constitutional, the institutional setting of the European Union in this moment is, uh, has a certain infrastructure. And if we lack the initiative of the European Commission, it is very difficult both for the Council and for the member states to do anything. And I think that that is, uh, for the moment, a very big worry for me and something that we have to go on working. So, as I said, the, the reduction of dependency on gas and fossil fuels also under a cultural approach point of view, the success of the Fit for 55 and the regaining of leadership and uh, initiative on Green Deal and reform of Europe from the part of the Commission. So where does this leadership come from? Well, I don't think that we have to think to talk about leadership in a very abstract way. We have to uh, make sure that there are ways through which the Commission is pushed to act and in which the national member states and the national governments and the European Parliament is, are taking their responsibility. As I said, there are some moments that are important, COP27, adoption and implementation of the Fit for 55, the question asked by the Conference on the Future of Europe. The things to do are very clear. And I think that uh, if this thing do not happen, then we really need to get people uh, again mobilized. Uh, You remember that the Green Deal was basically 
very much due to the electoral impact that the movement of um, Friday for Future had and its capacity of mobilizing. And of course, also the joining of, uh, of scientific evidence on, uh, on what's going on as far as climate is concerned, and also a certain mobilization from a part of the political community. So we need this. We need, and this is the same thing as, as far as uh, rule of law and human rights are concerned, as far as migration is concerned, as far as democratic reform of the EU is concerned. I think that we should not only rely on institutions, but without institutions, it will be very difficult to reach any kind of result. So what would be your advice for the people who are kind of losing hope facing this uh, terrible moment where we, we lack uh, leadership, uh, we lack uh, proper commitment, and somehow no one is really showing the way. We are only a few months away from uh, the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, which seems like one of the biggest mistakes ever on an environmental point of view. So. What would you say to people, to, to, especially to younger generations? Because as you said, I mean, they are quite inspiring. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, uh, there, is, uh, that uh, there is no hope or there is no commitment, etc. I think that there is lots of hope and lots of commitment. The only problem is that you find the way through which the commitment really becomes reality. And I think that the, that the secret of that is uh, organization and is the capacity of giving very simple messages like the ones that I was trying to do to, to give earlier and to demonstrate that you can change things. I think that that is the most important challenge for democracy today, to show people that you can bring solutions and that you can change ways. But uh, nothing falls from the sky. So I believe that... Uh, Uh, this kind of commitment must be done uh, at all levels, and there is no level that is useless. Even what you do in your own city or uh, what you reach uh, when you reach out your member of parliament uh, or when you try to uh, become visible in the press or uh, when you work with others joining the, the different... Because I think that uh, we should not be... In this moment, rule of law, rights, uh, di development and climate change is one fight. And, uh, and I think that uh, the only way to be heard is to demonstrate that you have the power and the knowledge. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And uh, like uh, people gaining power and uh, people just remembering that they have the power is, is so incredibly powerful. I mean, in this podcast, I've talked to some amazing people who are like organizing communities and setting up really some basic in the positive sense of the word, like very simple tools to just have some feedbacks and have set up some bottom-up approaches that really truly empower uh, people and make sure that they are also part of the solutions. Because uh, I think that's also what makes the difference, like uh, understanding that, yes, there is the, this political level, which can be uh, sometimes disappointing, but there are also like grassroots movements and municipalities doing, doing amazing things too. So let me switch to a, another, like, um, let's say, tricky topic. Tricky in the sense that I live in Italy, so I'm really not happy about this news, but you're also an Italian citizen. You're an Italian politician. and You know, this episode is recorded only a few weeks after the entry into force of uh, into office of a right-wing coalition that seems to have really little interest in energy issues. So how do you analyze the situation? 
they do have interest in the energy issues, but uh, in the wrong way. Uh, basically, is uh, giving money to everyone to pay the bills, just throwing away money from the window and not building anything to help the transition. They have this idea that uh, it would be fantastic to go and go on uh, drilling uh, the Mediterranean Sea. They don't believe basically in the urgency of the climate emergency, even if uh, Madame uh, Meloni did talk about the climate emergency, but... Uh, Basically, what she says is that uh, we have to take out all kinds of uh, limits to renewables, but at the same time, we basically need to go back, not to go back, to to go on uh, with being very dependent from gas, and she doesn't really see the link. Also, I think that um, there is really a mentality in that government that is uh, profoundly wrong, and that is going to make the the problems of the country even worse. One is something that, although I don't think that Madame uh, Meloni is fascist in the sense of being uh, authoritarian, because uh, she is is much more adapted, let's say, to the democratic uh, procedures, because that's from where she started, than many of the people who work with her, including Salvini or Lega, they have much less of an attention to procedures than what she has, because she really started from very low and little by little went up democratically, you know, in the way that she, that she did the, 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 her political career. The problem is that their mentality is climate skeptic. I mean, uh, they are completely not interested in that because they don't believe that this is an issue. And they are very ideological on their way of seeing democrat, uh, economic growth. They are very linked to the 70s, you know. Uh, the more you build, the more development you have. Nature is just there for us. Yeah, of course, we have to put some renewables, but in reality, that is not the key issue. The key issue is to bring, is to to build the bridge of Messina, one of the most useless things you can believe. Go on building highways and building trains and building, you know. So there is no no capacity of understanding that we are in a completely different world. And then their, their economic approach, which is very worrying, is that uh, they basically, in Italian, we have this word that is called corporazioni. You know, it's something that comes back from the Middle Age. And when the fascists came to government in the 20s, they established, they abolished the parliament, they established this Camera delle Corporazioni, basically in which every group, the agriculture people, in modern times, the agriculture people, the taxi drivers, uh, those who are managing beaches, the ones dealing with work, uh, the, those dealing with journalists, uh, the lawyers. I mean, they are all corporations and all cor- the journal- uh, journalists, I said, you know, the corporations which are one, I wouldn't say one against the other, but they are reaching out for their own interests and not the one of the public. And therefore, this is a really very deeply rooted approach. And I think that this is a disaster for a society like Italy, which is based on family. You know, basically, my friend is the one I save, even if he or she is terrible. And this is something that for a country like ours is is very bad because it is done of little advantages to my own people. And that's it. And it's not on merit. It's not on quality. It is basically on the copinage, as they say in French. And this is very bad. Another thing that I consider to be very bad is, uh, is the double standards on migrants, migration. 
because they have all this language that is terrible, you know, oh my God, these are invasion, we are going to block them. But then a lot of the people are actually exploiting these, uh, these migrants and they have interest in keeping them out of the society because they are cheaper when they work. The fact of having people who have no rights makes that they have no, they feel that they don't have obligation towards them. So the very same that are shouting and screaming to throw away the migrants are the very same that have these people in their home helping their families or in their company uh, working at terrible conditions or collecting oranges or tomatoes, basically in a situation of slavery. So I think that those are all things that with this government will become even stronger. And uh, I think not that in the other ones there were any solution, which is our problem in reality. And then there is another question that is also extremely uh, problematic, and that is the issue of taxes. Uh, They are still subscribing to this Reagan idea that uh, the less uh, state, the best, and the least taxes, the best which, of course, uh, makes that only the ones who, have, who are rich are basically able to pay for, their, for services that should be given to everyone. Now, in Italy, we have one of the highest level of tax evasion. It is said it is about 120 billion euros every year, which is huge. Uh, and uh, because our GDP does not reach 2,000 billion euros anymore. So it is very, very high. And basically what the government announced is, I will just let go the small evasor and I will try to go against and run uh, after the big ones. But this is a very, very bad message for all those who work in black um, and for this kind of under you know, under the surface uh, economy, which is also uh, very near to the, of course, not all of it, but, you know, part of it is very near to the criminality. So it is in general a system that is throwing us back of decades instead of uh, throwing us in front, although our potential in terms of manufacture, industry, etc., is are very high. There are last two things that I would like to, to add is the is a question of school and uh, training and uh, university. This is very worrying. It was already very bad, but now it's even worse. And then the whole thing of, uh, of uh, rights, civic rights. I don't think that they will go, they will run the risk of going and uh, diminishing or touching the abortion law or uh, the civil union, etc. But in any case, the abortion law cannot really be implemented in a lot of parts of the country because of the so-called consensus uh, objector which in the regions where the right-wing governs can be 90-95%. So this right is basically denied. So these are more or less the most important parts that uh, I wanted to underline. Yeah, that's that's really terrible to hear. And when you make this description, it makes me think of like a modern apartheid uh, version. So what can we do against it? First of all, we have to understand that uh, Italy is not its government only, and there are uh, many ways to defend yourself, and not only to defend yourself, but really to present a different kind of uh, government and a different kind of um, country. We also have to take into account that the reason why Meloni won is basically because 40% of the people did not go to vote and because uh, the opposite side was so divided and so quarreling all the time that they were not able to put together an alternative. So it is not that immediate that uh, suddenly uh, all Italians became like that. So 
we have a lot of possibilities of uh, building an alternative, but we have to uh, get our acts together. And the priorities are the same that I was talking about before, the climate uh, emergency, the uh, issue of Europe and its uh, future, and uh, the capacity of being credible on rights. So I think that uh, it is around these three priorities that we have to get organized, at, once again, at all level. Economic actors, activists and political parties are not part of a different story. This is incredibly inspiring and I hope that many, many people will want to really to, to follow your steps and uh, feel that it's possible you know, to build an alternative to lead, let's call it a peaceful revolution, peaceful green revolution. And Above all, we, we should never lose hope because after this kind of moment of tempest, there is always like the opportunity to bring better. And uh, uh, only yesterday, we are recording this episode at the end of October uh, 2022. Uh, uh, just yesterday, the Brazil elected Lula again, and who's been way more proactive towards uh, restoring the Amazon and preserving the Amazon. So I think it feels really, really good sometimes to have this kind of. Um, positive examples that are said. Yeah, but you also have to take into account two things. First, that in its uh, first mandate, Lula was not particularly proactive on uh, Amazon. He always said that uh, Amazon was Brazilian patrimony, changed his mind afterwards. And um, Maria Silva, who was uh, his, uh, minister, his um, uh, environment minister, resigned because of the impossibility of dealing with this uh, extremely violent and, uh, and very strong lobbies of uh, agricultural exploitation in the Amazon. Afterwards, of course, uh, you know, things above all in his mind changed. Now we will have to see whether he will be able to actually you know, deliver. What makes me also think, and this is a second point, that how can it be possible that he only won by a couple of million of votes, seeing the complete disaster that his predecessor was? It means that people really are led uh, in this political debate to decide on issues, uh, on the basis of issues and considerations that uh, are completely indifferent to the quality of the government they have in front of them. You know? And this is tragic. This is tragic. So I think that in terms of quality of democracy and the, of information, the fake news, the capacity that he had to manipulate to stop people going to vote, Uh, I think that that is very dangerous indeed. And we see also some kinds, not at that level, but we also see some kind of threats also over here. Look what happened in Hungary, what is happening in uh, Poland, etc. That's uh, really fantastic to have such an expert view on uh, democracy building and um, on the various, like, just a warning that democracy is never required. It's always a work in progress. And uh, that for the uh, climate transition, we need democracy more than, more than ever. And we need uh, transparency, we need accountability, and we need uh, support and coalitions that really build the support with, uh, led by intelligence and by facts. So, Monica, where can we find you? Uh, you're very active on social media. Well, I am uh, indeed active in social media on Facebook. I do write quite often. I am also having some um, blogs uh, on mostly Italian newspapers. The Fatto, Inchiesta. Inchiesta I do it less, but um, I'm much more on Huffington Post and on uh, Fatto Quotidiano. And on my website, there are normally the translation in English and French of, uh, of the articles I write. 
and on Twitter, of course, and uh, and on LinkedIn, you know, all the usual stuff. Exactly. So I will make sure to put that in the show notes. And thank you. Thank you so much, Monica, for this very, very insightful conversation. And uh, yes, I'm sure that many, many people look up to you. So uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, uh, keep on being inspiring. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss about in in another episode. Thank you so much, Monica. Grazie. Thank you very much. Grazie mille. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.